The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai, Episode 63. Welcome to The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai. I'm your host, Dr. Yishai Barkadari, psychologist and adaptability coach to entrepreneurs and business leaders. I believe that working on your business is more important than working in your business. If you want to achieve your business goals and dreams without the cost and pain of having to make every mistake yourself, then The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai is the podcast for you. I'm here to help you learn from the lessons of entrepreneurs and business leaders to help you work on yourself and your business so that you can save time, energy, and grow faster. For those of you new to the show, The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai presents three new episodes each week. On Insight Sunday, we dive into the minds of business leaders through insightful guest interviews. On Story Tuesday, we dig deeper with them and learn firsthand from their stories, hard-earned lessons, and experience. On Thrive Thursday, it's just you and me on the couch, where you'll hear scientific research, my thoughts, and tangible tactics to adapt and grow yourself and your business. Grab a proverbial seat and listen up so you can learn from the minds and mistakes of business leaders and apply their wisdom to your life and business. Welcome to Thrive Thursday with Dr. Yishai. This week on the Business Couch with Dr. Yishai, I had Carrie Wooten, owner of Mindset Enterprise and founder of the nonprofit Operation Phalanx. With her background in law enforcement, organizational development, positive psychology, and neuroleadership, she has so many powerful insights and perspectives to share. Because our Story Tuesday conversation is so packed and full of value, I divided it into two parts. In episode 61, Carrie shares her hard-earned wisdom from values to perseverance to commitment first, and how those values helped her adapt to losing over half her income in her business during the pandemic to create even greater success. In episode 62, Carrie talks about her business mentors, supports, and personal relationships, as well as creating the nonprofit Operation Phalanx and securing funding to continue serving and helping communities veterans, and law enforcement, who she is so dedicated to serving. If you haven't yet, go back and listen to episodes 61 and 62 to learn from Carrie's experience, wisdom, and actions. Today, I'm continuing with the third and last of my three-part series on handling emotions. I'm talking about mistakes we make when emotions show up that end up working against us instead of harnessing our emotions to help us. I've been talking research, sharing examples, and tactics so that you can become more aware and learn to harness instead of be hampered by emotions in your life and business. Before we dive in, I wanted to share that the Business Couch with Dr. Yishai is brought to you by Adaptability Coaching and Consulting. If you lead a six or seven plus figure business and experience a drag or dip in your growth, if you notice diminishing engagement or passion in your business, if you want to eliminate exhaustion and burnout in yourself or your teams, if you sense that you or your company would grow faster and stronger if you could just pivot efficiently and effectively when circumstances change like they had so much in 2020, then you've got an adaptability problem. 
Adaptability coaching and consulting will give you and your business the psychology and neuroscience-backed tools to understand and leverage core adaptability skills through the unique 3D adaptation framework. You can learn to harness and leverage core adaptability skills to grow yourself and your company. You can learn to become fast, flexible, and formidable. You can learn to turn tough circumstances, reactions, and exhaustion into energy, excitement, and excellence for you and your company. To learn more, go to dryishai.com slash coaching or dryishai.com slash consulting. Now, without further ado, let's dive into 12 mistakes you make with emotions that create more problems in your life and business, part three. I wanted to start with a brief recap because there are so many mistakes we make, I don't want to make the mistake of repeating them. And in the brief review, the repetition is one way to learn better. In part one, episode 57, I shared my own mistake-filled journey and covered the first four mistakes we make when handling emotions that create more problems. I covered focusing on the discomfort, outcome over process, outsourcing responsibility, and labeling ourselves and others. In part two, episode 60, I tackled four more common mistakes, assigning meaning, ignoring and avoiding, minimizing and amplifying. I talked about how they show up, gave examples, and shared research tactics and tools you can use to stop yourself from making these kinds of mistakes in your business and life. Today, I'm covering the final four mistakes, assuming, altering, fusing, and pitting. Number nine, assuming. You've probably heard some variation of the saying, never assume, because when you assume, you make an ass out of you and me. That's why it's spelled that way. I've seen versions of the phrase attributed to Ellen DeGeneres, the 1970s TV show The Odd Couple, and Oscar Wilde. Wherever it comes from, it's a massive mistake that so many of us make when it comes to emotions. Back in graduate school, when we were learning all about cognitive psychology and cognitive therapy, we would hear stories and watch videos of some of the earliest cognitive psychologists and researchers addressing these kinds of thoughts, both in their research and with patients. Some of the most iconic clinicians like Aaron Beck and Albert Ellis observed the way so many people think and talk with the words should and must. In some of the more shocking stories, I heard Aaron Beck replied to a patient's plea for what they should do about their situation with saying right back to them, you're shooting all over yourself. In a publicly taped session, I watched Albert Ellis interrupt his patient's self-talk just to accuse them of masturbating. Obviously, coining these kitschy phrases leaves an impression. We all assume what we should or shouldn't be feeling sometimes in a given situation or moment. Or sometimes we make those assumptions about the people around us, whether that's our teams, our partners, or even our kids. It can be particularly problematic when leaders engage in this mistake with others. Making assumptions about how your teams will react without inviting, collecting, and considering their feedback can be a recipe for top-down tyranny, even when it's unintentional. Similarly, it can be a huge mistake to make assumptions how our products or services will be experienced or responded to by clients. Other times, we think we should or shouldn't be having the reaction or emotion we're having, whether in a moment of triumph or challenge. In a subtle way, making assumptions about emotions also implies that you hold 
particular beliefs about what emotions are, when and how they show up, and then interprets those emotions as faulty and a result of that person, whether yourself or others, in the circumstances just based on the expectations. You might have caught that there's a hidden mistake I've talked about before, mistake number two, outcome over process. When we make assumptions about emotions, we're often thinking about emotions as an outcome rather than a process. In fact, it can also be very common for one mistake to lend itself to making other mistakes with emotions. For example, following the mistake of assuming, which is the one we're just talking about right now, with mistakes two, three, and four, which are outcome over process, outsourcing responsibility, and labeling. And all of those can be made in quick succession by expecting to feel happy and proud, for example, following a meeting for a project, only to treat our own unexpected disappointment as the result of one person or team's failure to perform, and then labeling that person or team with a derogatory title. That very series of mistakes is one that I've seen and known to erode the sense of security and trust necessary to do great work on teams and in companies. Instead, those mistakes sow uncertainty and fear for being blamed and labeled as the person or team that created the problem and can end up leading to a race to get out of the line of fire. Another example is making the mistake of assuming with mistake number five, assigning meaning and thinking or saying, I shouldn't feel so stressed. It must mean I'm weak. While not all of the mistakes show up so frequently or together, you can see how these mistakes can compound on each other like a set of dominoes that have the potential to set off a dangerous chain reaction. What you can do when you're noticing that you're making assumptions about emotions is to slow down and do what I call turning it around. Instead of wondering or reacting to the absence of the expected emotion, take a moment to consider the current emotion and what it might be trying to communicate. Do a 180 rather than assuming some emotion should exist. Look at the one that is here. Remember, emotions have three purposes, to provide data, direction, and drive. So take the time, think about them, and make sense of where they're coming from and what they're trying to do for you. Number 10, altering. When people make assumptions about emotions, it's so easy to fall into the trap of trying or wishing that we could change them there are a lot of ways that people try to alter their feelings, from trying to reason or logic them away, to trying to fix or change the situation immediately to make the feeling change, to trying to alter their initial state or what they feel in their body. Last week, I talked about mistake number six, ignoring and avoiding. And this takes it one step further to actively pouring energy into changing the feelings that we or others are experiencing. If you've ever said to yourself, stop being so worried, or heard someone else say, don't be so sad. You've experienced what it's like when we try to change or alter our emotions. Of course, it rarely works. Can you ever remember a time that someone simply told you to stop feeling something and it just stopped? Sometimes people attach a fix or punishment to try to influence or alter the emotion, but that also rarely works. If anything, people frequently end up having multiple reactions and emotions the initial emotion, and then the reaction to however someone else was trying to alter their emotion. Just like if somebody tells you to stop crying, it might not stop you from crying or being sad. But you might also be angry at the same time. 
or even annoyed or frustrated with them just trying to shut it down. Often, the premise of trying to alter an emotion comes from a few different places. One is that emotions can be tremendously uncomfortable, even downright miserable. There's a reason that mistake number one, focusing on the discomfort, is number one. It's extremely common, and many emotions can be very uncomfortable. And so staying focused on the discomfort can really lead to making a lot of the other mistakes. So I want to make sure to include it first. Understandably, it can be unbearable to just sit in and experience the discomfort, especially when making other mistakes like number two, outcome of a process, where the emotion is just viewed as an undesirable result instead of recognizing that emotions are like messengers. They have jobs and processes. Sometimes people engage in various forms of distracting, including mistake number six, ignoring and avoiding, in the hopes of getting their emotion to change or disappear. Brene Brown, who spent over two decades researching and talking about courage, vulnerability, shame, and empathy, and incidentally has also published multiple best-selling books on those topics, she talks about how we try to numb our feelings, whether that's with food, alcohol, or any variety of other tactics. In an extreme form, I like to think of it the way I think about addiction, which is it's not just what you're doing, it's why you're doing it. Context and intention matter a lot. Now, that doesn't mean that we're all addicted or that addiction is everywhere. But when we eat to try to avoid uncomfortable feelings, rather than provide nutrition to our bodies, it may not be a clinical or diagnostic substance use or dependency, but it can lead to a pattern of continuing to avoid, attempting to alter, and engaging in something else, just trying to keep the discomfort at bay. Whether that's jumping into a food fix, having a drink, alcoholic or otherwise, or reaching for the remote, there's a huge difference between making a choice to engage and enjoy life versus trying to alter or avoid an emotion. That's the danger in the mistake of altering. And for those of you who've tried it or seen it happen, you'll probably know what I mean when I say that the emotion doesn't just go away or get changed forever. It comes back. You can move away from it, try to change it, but it's here for a reason, and it doesn't often just leave us alone. If you're an entrepreneur and had some challenges show up, something I'm sure all of us have experienced as entrepreneurs, trying to alter the emotions that arise in moments of challenge, when we lose business, or when circumstances change, it just doesn't do it those emotions have a tendency to grow and become more difficult over time. When leadership tries to change their own or their team's emotions, all they end up doing is communicating that it's unsafe to express or maybe even experience them. And that's both to each other and to the leadership. It creates a silent understanding that slowly subverts the ability of teams and the leaders to share feedback, problem solve together, adapt, or pivot in the face of challenges, rather than trying to lean on emotions to change. Lean into them. Listen and learn from the messages and direction that they're trying to convey. That doesn't mean that you have to allow emotions to make decisions for you. It just means that resisting and strong-arming are ineffective methods when it comes to handling and responding to emotions. Number 11, fusing. 
Sometimes we don't even realize that we're mixing up or conflating an emotion with something else. Like thinking about anger as yelling, throwing things, or becoming physically intimidating or aggressive. In fact, it's really common for people to describe emotions by way of the behaviors or actions people take when they report experiencing them. Another example is that it's really common to think of jealousy as controlling, overbearing, or intrusive behavior in relationships. Or to think of anxiety and fear as the decision or the action of holding back from making decisions or taking action steps forward. When we do that, though, and the behavior is unhelpful or unacceptable, it becomes easy to dismiss the emotion or to make other mistakes like number seven, minimizing, or number 10, altering. As you might be noticing, sometimes these mistakes can end up really kind of feeding into other ones and they can compound on each other. If or when we want to engage in a particular behavior, it likewise can become a push to experience or induce an emotion like excitement or even to make mistake number eight, amplifying in an attempt to generate a particular behavior or action. Leading through fear is a painful yet powerful example of that. When leadership wants to discourage or prevent their teams from acting in particular ways, like, for example, taking too many breaks, they may try to create an environment of fear, with the idea that fear goes hand in hand with not taking lots of breaks. But inducing or creating an environment of fear has a lot of other consequences. Sure, it might discourage some of the target behaviors, but it's also likely going to impact other elements of the culture, like how openly teams share their time and what they do with it because of concern for how it will be perceived or responded to. In other words, mixing up a behavior with an emotion can lead to leaning heavily on the emotion to do the work of addressing the behavior. But that emotion is likely to have other effects too. When thinking about and addressing emotions, it's really important to differentiate or separate them from the specific actions that you want or want to change. Number 12, pitting. I saved one of the most common and pernicious mistakes for last. Emotional pitting is when we respond to one emotion by throwing another one at it in a steel cage deathmatch. I can only assume that the hope is that one emotion will prevail over the other. It's like a battle of good and evil, and sometimes it's really constructed that way. Like telling someone to be grateful for what they have in the face of adversity. In fact, I've been seeing a lot of those kinds of social media posts through the holiday season, the end of the year, and even into New Year's. Posts that tell people to be thankful instead of frustrated. Posts that tell people to be excited for what's coming instead of upset about what's been happening. Posts that tell people to stop complaining because they could have it worse. That last one is more subtle and pits the behaviors and thoughts against each other rather than the feelings of disappointment versus gratitude. While they can be distinct, it's easy to make mistake 11, fusing, and to talk about it that way too. Ultimately, when someone pits two emotions against each other, they make a few big errors. First, they assume we can only have one emotion at a time. Second, they try to overpower one emotion by throwing another one at it. In a way, it's a form of argument that's risen a lot in popularity recently and shows up as, but what about, and then follows with something unrelated that's presumed to undermine or override the previous point. One emotion I frequently hear about and address in entrepreneurs is overwhelm. 
Sometimes when experiencing exhaustion, an entrepreneur will say, I can't take a break. I have so much to do. And when we break that down, it comes down to understanding that exhaustion is an emotion that tells you when you need to recharge. And stress is an emotion that directs and motivates you to get essential work done. This is a classic example of pitting stress against exhaustion. The problem is there is no winner because if exhaustion wins out over stress, yeah, sure, you might begrudgingly take a break, but often one that's going to be limited won't really allow you to fully recharge. If stress wins out over exhaustion, then you might push ahead, but it's also very likely you'll lose steam and productivity all the while. So maybe you'll get done, but it certainly won't be the best work. How is that related to overwhelm? Well, overwhelm shows up when we have more load than our limits. When that remains over time, we may be exhausted and eventually burnt out. I see it so often. Pitting stress against exhaustion is a very common way that entrepreneurs and leaders push themselves too hard for too long. I will willingly admit that I am absolutely guilty of doing this at times. Sometimes it's working an hour later than I promise myself or my wife that I'm going to really end my day. And it can really lead to that overwhelm and burnout I was just mentioning. Because when exhaustion shows up, it's trying to help us get back to full power by pushing us to recharge. Very much like the indicator on your phone that shows you when your battery's running low and if you don't charge it, well, it's going to conk out. But if we don't recharge, we can't work optimally, our capacity and our ability to handle what's on our plate is reduced. That's also a process that shows up top-down from leadership when leadership pushes themselves and their teams on projects, initiatives, and when they continue to add more workload. Instead of acknowledging and responding to the real need for recharging, it's really easy to continue to pit stress against exhaustion. And that can overload and overwhelm both the leadership themselves and the teams. I've seen companies like this lose their top 20% of high-achieving talent, which can effectively double the workload for everyone else and can cause a disastrous workload avalanche for everyone involved. The most important response to pitting is to separate the two into their respective corners. For example, you can say something like, I know there's a lot of work to do, and that's really important. And then follow it up with, it's also really important to take breaks and recharge so I can keep going. Otherwise, it's like running on an empty tank or trying to use your phone without any battery left. You can underscore that both are important, urgent even, and that they don't have to fight to the death because that's a losing battle for both sides. To recap, today I covered four more mistakes we make with emotions in the final part of this series. I covered assuming, altering, fusing, and pitting. I talked about how mistakes show up and what their consequences may be. I shared tips on how to identify and respond when you notice them cropping up. How we think and respond when emotions arise can make all the difference, whether as a leader, an entrepreneur, or as a human. I've lost track of how many times I've said it, but I'm going to keep saying it because it rings so true. Emotions are signals, messengers that show up to provide you with data, direction, and drive. 
Emotions don't show up at random. They have purpose. So rather than assuming that you should feel this way or why you should be feeling or not feeling a particular way, be curious. Rather than trying to change them, listen to your feelings. Instead of mixing them up with your thoughts or actions, recognize their place. Don't pit them against each other. Make space for all of them in your life so that they can guide you. To sum up, how you can respond to emotions and prevent all the mistakes I've been talking about, you can take three key approaches. First, honor every emotion as though it is an angel sent from heaven to help you. Second, embrace every emotion as an esteemed guest. Third, be curious about every emotion as a scientist is when learning about a new discovery. And on that note, I'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us today on The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai. If you enjoyed today's episode, take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It helps grow the show and gives more people like you the ability to learn and grow. You can also click the share button to share today's episode directly with someone you know who would enjoy it. The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai podcast artwork is made by Sam Barkadari, show notes by Yishai Barkadari, and music by www.purple-planet.com. The advice and opinions of the host and guests are our own. I'm a psychologist, but not your psychologist. The conversations and content of this podcast do not contain or create any psychology practice, diagnosis, or therapist-patient relationship with either the guest or the listener. So do your own research before using anything from this podcast. Thank you for listening. Remember, our thoughts and reactions affect our actions. By listening, we can learn from the challenges others face and the choices they make so that we can make better decisions and get better results. 